podcast from Drew and Mike is, I think it's really cool and um, that is what I wanted to say. The Iran-Contra affair is forgotten at your peril. The level of shadow government corruption, circumventing congressional laws and policies, and the sheer arrogance of the military figures involved, like Colonel Oliver North, will probably surprise even the most sceptical of political observer. What we saw unfold in the Senate hearings over Iran-Contra should be revisited by everyone who believes that their government only have the interests of the people at heart. Iran-Contra represents an enormous abdication of democratic duty. It shows just how cheaply governments can value the lives of people who live in different countries. When we today hear political leaders cherry-pick which lives they decide to protect and which lives they will use and discard, as they did in Afghanistan, then I implore you to address Iran-Contra and remember that this happened over 40 years ago and all the years since it has been our duty to demand better. We should have demanded more from our leaders. What follows is Aidan and I analysing the important points as we see them that the Iran-Contra affair compels us to consider. Aidan, it's great to have you back uh, a second time now, as in, so number three, so it's your second return, as it were, yeah. after the initial one. Um, it's, so it's, it's, you don't mind coming back and talking to this crazy English dude over here? No, I, uh, I happen to not mind at all. No, I, I actually <laughs> really enjoy it. It's been uh, something really enjoyable, just to, like a learning experience, to learn about new things. Um, it's also really cool to get a new perspective for a lot of the stuff that I have learned through most of my life as an American and to get a outsider's perspective um, and their opinions about it. Like the way that I see America and the way other people see America is probably very different. And so I value this conversation because it helps me understand how other people may see America outside of the U.S. Um, so I'm always happy to be coming back. Mm, wonderful, wonderful. Um, it's, and what you say is very similar to the kind of experiences that I have as well in my conversations with people. I, I Like yourself, I love talking with people from different cultural backgrounds with different perspectives because, you know, inevitably they are going to tell me um, uh, their view on something that I've always just sort of naturally felt a part of. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they will make me reflect uh, in a different manner upon that which I've always thought just simply be the case. And they said, no, but it wasn't that way. You know, there is a different story behind it. Um, and what we do is, you know, now at least is sort of get into some of these different stories. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because we both develop our knowledge as we go into doing our own individual research yeah. uh, on the, on the topics that we're choosing. So that's uh, yeah, that's really good. Before we start, though, so you told me earlier that you are getting involved in some of the local issues, local politics where you are. Yeah. Um, so in 20 years time, when people look at the beginnings of your political career, they may even look up this particular podcast. But uh, yeah, how's that? How's that going? You know, um, it's good. Um, it's just it's fun to get involved with our local community. Um, it's something that I think a lot of people should get involved with. And it's unbelievably easy. Um, like. I literally just like started watching live council meetings. They most counties, I believe, have them saved on their website and you can just kind of like watch through their videos and they're maybe like an hour and a half, two hours long. But just learning about your community and what is being worked to uh, benefit the community, what is happening that is possibly going to worsen your community. Like we had we have a um, prison that is being moved from our downtown to the southeast side of our town, which is a historically black neighborhood. And it's our, like, that neighborhood does not get enough representation through our city council and does not get enough, like, funding to be in a better spot. And there's talk of moving a prison down there in that same neighborhood, which would only make things worse, like, literally visible by playgrounds and houses of, of like kids and, and people and um, just like people being like, we don't think that this is going to encourage anything good. Like there are, this is just going to be bad. Um, and hearing people advocate for why it should not go there, people bringing up better locations for it. Um, like, I wouldn't have known about that stuff if I didn't go down to those city council meetings and understand what kind of pains and struggles were going on in a part of town that I'm not living in. Like, I don't go down to that part of town, so I wouldn't know about what's going on down there. So I I, I highly recommend anybody who goes in and is interested in local or is interested in politics at all, start out with local politics and just, like, listen to what they're going to talk about. Listen to, like what's going on in your city, how, what kind of problems are going on, um, how you can get involved, ask questions, write, like they'll give you an itinerary for the, the meeting and just like write shit down. Um, I was writing stuff down the whole time, questions, things that I need to learn more about when I get back home and to read up on for the next meetings. So I recommend anybody do that. So yeah. But in terms of if people come back to this when if I ever like actually do a politics thing, um, maybe they'll just think I was a little bit more radical in my viewpoint as like a young 20 something. But who knows? I'm I'm excited at that possibility. Yeah, I, I remember being very impressed by uh, the speech from a young Obama um mm. about uh you know um sort of civil rights uh, the rights for people of african origin and so on um clearly he uh, was he has always been a great communicator he continues to be yeah um, but in in the white house um perhaps even in uh, congress he sort of tempered his enthusiasm somewhat yeah uh, yeah i would definitely agree with that like he 
some of his earlier videos and speeches that he's given, like, there is so much fire and passion inside of him that, like, you can visibly see it and you can feel it in the way that he's talking. And it... I agree. It definitely changed when he became like president and, and a congressman. Like he, he kind of stepped back a little bit and almost didn't want to be treading on people's shoes as hard. Um, which luckily we have somebody like AOC who doesn't give a fuck. And she is like all over people's shoes like the whole time. It's awesome. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, her determination is impressive. Her consistency is impressive. Um, yeah. I, I was having a, a bit of a Twitter spat earlier on. I, I kind of defended the um, Amnesty International um, on one of their reports because they've been getting a lot of negative publicity recently. Um, and I, I think people tend to misunderstand sometimes that, you know, organizations like Amnesty International don't defend countries or politics. They defend human rights. Mm. Um, and people have to understand that even countries that we like also violate human rights and they should be called out on that yeah um if if as a friend if i see a friend of mine being abusive towards a pet or a relative or something it's my job to say hey bud what are you doing sort yeah. yourself out you know that's a good point hmm hmm a little something to think about America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I saw this. I saw this amazing video of um, this. I I genuinely do not know who it was, but this gentleman came out and he spoke in front of. I believe it was uh, like a UK group, um, and he was just like, everything that's going on in America right now. How can we not recognize that as like? The same kind of things that we see in third world countries in terms of the violence that happens to people, in terms of the lack of freedoms that people ex experience. And like, why are we not trying to help them? Like, why are we not going in there and fucking like getting the job done like we usually do with countries that are doing fucked up shit that the rest of the world is like, man, that's that's bad. Like. The, U the U.S. in the past couple of years has really proven that it cannot handle many, like, big, horrible things. Like, we didn't handle COVID. We're not handling monkeypox. We're barely handling our police enforcement. Just overall problems. Guns are an ever, like, growing issue. Like, I do kind of feel like most of the other countries should kind of take a look at America and be like, man we should probably like sweep in there and try to help out. I don't know exactly what that would mean, like in terms of like how that would happen. But I think that what you said, like uh, when the friend is doing something like hitting their dog or hitting their pet, like you as a good friend step in there and you go, hey, man, what the fuck are you doing to that dog? Like, what's your problem, man? And maybe maybe some of our allies aren't as good of friends as we think they are you know like maybe they're we're all kind of in the same boat and we're all kind of like a lot of our governments are doing the same things and they're just kind of like american stuff is just exemplified for some reason like i don't know what it would be why that would be but i mean 
think a lot of countries are experiencing same issues, like, but just in different ways and in a different level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot of criticism, obviously, and justifiably targeting uh, some uh, areas in the United States with regards to their abuse of ethnic minorities, and these are very well um, sort of documented with regards to Black Lives Matter, um, you know, stop Asian hate. Uh, and, you know, these very uh, prominent sort of civil rights um, sort of movements. Yeah. Uh, but in the UK, there are you know, these issues, too, perhaps not quite in such an overt manner. So not so many shootings and so on. But um, institutionalized racism exists in, in the UK. It exists in many European countries. And recently as well, the Metropolitan Police Force. So this is the police force of, of London uh, was 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 put on. Um, I can't remember what the actual process is called, but basically that they were um, they're under investigation for the their own mismanagement and their mm. own the mistakes that they have made repeatedly yeah. over the last few years. Yeah. You know, so lots of, I mean, uh, Sarah Everard was a woman who was kidna- kidnapped, raped and murdered by a police officer. Um, you know, there have been many issues such as this very tragic one. Yeah. Um, and that needs to be addressed. You cannot be uh, an organization within a community which is, uh, based upon the defense of that community and their rights, only for individual elements within that organization uh, to violate those same rights. It just Absolutely. it just shouldn't happen. It shouldn't yeah. happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recently saw a uh, like a New York Times or a Washington Post uh, article that talked about UK police that were doing strip searches of uh, minors between the ages of uh, 13 and 17. And that they were doing that like on a daily basis to black young men. And I was just like, for a moment, I was like, man, so it really isn't just America. Like that there is this systematic racism that is just built into this police system. Like I I just don't understand what, what to do with that alone. Like I've had this conversation multiple times of just like when the police are doing shit like this. Who do you call? Like, what do you do? There's nothing to do. You would call the police if you like if if somebody was doing the shit that the police did out of uniform, you'd call the police and you'd be like, that dude is shooting people in the street like for no reason. The police would come. But like that's their like that's it's the police with the police like when the police investigate the police they often don't find anything when the fbi or the cia like looks into the fbi or the cia what do they come up with oh man that's so weird we couldn't find anything that was wrong with us hmm that's strange like who the fuck do you call what do you do like who are you supposed to like who who really has your back and it doesn't feel like these people have your back ever and i just i don't know what the solution is in terms of like who do you call? What do you do? Like in America, we have guns to stop people from intruding and from breaking into your home and from doing things that you're afraid of, like you're afraid of dying. And then like when the police break into your house for with like a, a search warrant and that they forged like they did for Breonna Taylor, like 
and you try to shoot them, then they just fucking open fire on you even harder than they were planning on in the first place. Like, then what's the point of having the gun? Like, it should apply to the police in the same way. Like, citizens should not have to face repercussions for shooting police when they break into their home. Like, you are expect like if somebody broke into your home, like a police officer, if somebody broke into your home, would you not shoot them? <laughs> like, that's the go to move, man. Like, and what are you supposed to do? You invade them at like 4 a.m. Like, there's no way that you're going to know that it's that it's the police. Like, I, I don't know. That was a, a side tangent of just like how horrible are like police are across the board like it's not an america only issue of just the police are bad like all police are bad period like mm. a cab for real <laughs> yeah i um i mean okay I, I i try not to take this sort of universal brush and paint everybody as being bad because i i think that would be unfair i'm sure you feel similarly but uh, the, the issue is though the, the the image that is portrayed as a result of whether it's a substantial minority or, or larger group it doesn't matter when when the organization itself is aware of this group and does nothing to eradicate it then they themselves become complicit um, yep. and i think that that that's the same for every kind of situation yeah. um, i do remember the last time i went to uh, california um, a friend of a friend um, is a police officer there and and he he said because he he we were talking to a friend when we were talking uh, and he was there and uh, when we said we were coming and the friend said if you get a car and you're stopped by the police don't open a door you put your hand you keep your hands on the steering wheel and let the police give you instructions if you do anything other than that they could shoot you know, and for like a, a group of Brits sort of going out to, you know, if a policeman, op if you Ugh. get stopped by the police, you've done nothing. You're like, you open the door. Hey, man, I didn't do anything. You know, <laughs> yeah. Shit. What was that? Yeah, um, here's your reality yeah. check. Welcome to America. Yeah. Like, so. Yeah. That's terrifying, dude. What a fucking. I personally have never been pulled over. I've never like I've been driving for a while, never encountered like. I've definitely been stopped by the police before, like, um, and during George Floyd, like the George Floyd protests that we had in our town, like police interactions there. But like, I've never been pulled over, but I genuinely do fear like the idea of that. Like, I know that I'm probably going to be fine just to st statistically, like un as unfortunate as that is to say, I know that I'll probably be fine. But that it's still just terrifying to imagine, like, just anybody going through that scenario, like, that a routine traffic stop could end your life. Like, just just a heads up, <laughs> a minor traffic violation could be the fucking end of you, dog. Like, and not because you, like, commit a traffic accident, because the police officer deems it so. Like, that's terrifying. Absolutely. And, and I can only uh, well, imagine is a difficult word, but I, I can only uh, sort of try to imagine how people with um, you know darker skin tones must feel under circumstances like that to be stopped by a police officer and yeah. then like, oh, shit, what's going to happen now? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. We, we you and I have, uh, we are passionate about these yeah. sort of equality um, and civil rights and human rights issues. Um, and we, we, I'm sure we will revisit this this theme uh, again in the future. However, Absolutely. this has been one hell of an introduction into yeah. our, top, <laughs> our topic for today. Yeah. Um, which is uh, Iran-Contra. Um, yeah. Now, a lot of people will not necessarily have heard about this. Um, would you like to give a little bit of uh, an introduction to what is Iran-Contra? Yeah, so uh, basically in the 1970s uh, in Iran, the U.S. had an embassy in Iran. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, during the time there was a lot of like uprising and the United States and Russia were both kind of competing with trying to influence Iran towards capitalism in the U.S.'s case and communism in Russia's case. Um, and there were conflicts going on. And eventually one day there were like a group of college students that broke into the U.S. embassy and they took uh, I believe it was like 63 um, members hostage of the U.S. embassy, um, and they pretty much just held on to them. And they were like, fuck you, America. You will meet our demands from now on on our terms. This was a socialist group, if I'm not mistaken, that ended up taking the the um, Americans. Um, and so America was kind of like, having to be complacent with that and um jimmy carter was president during the time of this whole like the hostage situation um and he struggled through his entire presidency trying to get the hostages out like to to no avail often he was constantly battered like his his campaign ended because like the re one of the main reasons why he lost was because he was unable to return the Americans back to America from the Iran hostage situation. Um, and then on uh, Ronald Reagan's inauguration, 63 of the uh, Americans ended up being released. Um, and that was Jimmy Carter's action. That was through Jimmy Carter. And I think that it's like, I'm not like a Jimmy Carter stan by any means, but Jimmy Carter is pretty all right. Um, and he he did that. Not a lot of people really talk about that. Like in most of the documents that I went through, they didn't talk about that Jimmy Carter was the one who did that. Um, but that was like the last thing that he did on Ronald Reagan's inauguration. Like the same day, he was able to negotiate with Iran to get 63 hostages back into America. Um, and that was pretty big. That was like that was a win way too late. Um, yeah, there were there were about 440 odd days. Um, yeah. Between sort of you know, being 14, taken hostage. Yeah. 14 months, I believe. And like some of the descriptions of like they said the Iranians said that they were treating them very well. But when they came back home, their testaments or like their testimonies of what they went through, like they were beaten. They were like one member was put in solitary confinement for like multiple months at a time. Um, there was one gentleman who like talked about having centipedes like every time he was falling asleep, he would have giant centipedes like crawling on his face and like 
the PTSD that all these people experienced, like just this horrible, 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 just horrible thing. Um, and Ronald Reagan uh, was pretty much using it as this, like sending funds to them to try to release the hostages because there were still some more hostages. Eventually, the Iranians took six more hostages. Um and the U.S. was trying to negotiate with them, trying to, like, we gave them money, we gave them guns, like, Ronald Reagan gave them money and gave them guns, pretty much under, like, pretty secretly, like, it was pretty hush-hush. Um, and that that money and guns ended up going to Nicaragua uh, to help smash uh, socialist uprisings and socialist uh, a socialist government that was taking place there. Um and eventually, <clears throat> like, this made more drug routes between Nicaragua and America, like South America and in America, more drug routes. Um, saw huge influxes of cash between the hands of already very rich people. Um, and the whole time, lots of denial about any of it happening, like very, like any time that Reagan was pushed on it and any time that anything came out about it, Reagan would firmly stand on, I do not believe that I'm doing anything wrong. Uh, and I stand on that. And then when it turns out that he did do that thing wrong, he even comes back and he's like, I still believe that what I believed was right. And that makes me a good guy. And like it's just like this fucking oh my god, and and so then like kind of comes out as the more that this information is coming out, the more that Reagan is being pushed on it, and Reagan is being asked, "What's up with with Iran Contra? What's going on with the uh, Contras right now? Like, why are we giving money and guns to groups that are?" Um, not ones that we support necessarily. And so, yeah, eventually it ends up becoming a public hearing because it gets so big. And during the time of these public hearings, there are documents being shred, there are testimonies being told of just like, yeah, I was told to do this. I was told to shred. And if I couldn't shred it, then I threw it in the burn box. And if it wasn't in the burn box and I took it home and I set it on fire myself, like, these people were told to do what they had to do and they did it like and and the the hearings alone like i believe it was oliver north um wow his testimonies are just amazing like he everything that he has to say he's always like i was under the direct orders of the president or if it wasn't the president i was under the direct orders of like number two like Every single time, it, they were direct orders that were made by the president, and if not the president, like vicariously through the president. Like through his administration, they were doing all of these things, putting more money into the pockets of them, their friends, the people that they like, and also just trying to stomp out socialism. Like pretty much every like, – I think in the documentary that I watched, they said – uh, this gentleman was like, pretty much every single coup that's happened since the 1940s up into the 1970s was a direct cause of the CIA involvement and them funding it to squash out a socialist regime. And 
every single time they end up getting replaced by a dictator of some kind, like some kind of uh, capitalist dictator who ends up being like, all right, it's time for my money, baby. And it's just fucking terrifying, like, that the United States and the CIA is continuously, like, I'm sure that we're still doing that stuff. Like, there's no way that we're not. Like, this is always the United States' goal, is to do what we're doing, to do what we did in Nicaragua and in Iran, and it's to squash out socialism and to implement uh, the coolest form of government in the whole wide world, which is capitalism. Yeah, there. Are, yeah, you cover so many points there, um, and and there are some really interesting similarities to the the hearings that we're looking at now. Yeah. Um, let's take it back a little bit because, first of all, did this general analysis, the fact that the CIA has uh, interfered with the sort of domestic political structures of so many countries, and you know, it's it's un it's unimaginable exactly how many uh the, you know, the CIA has actually tried to yeah. you know change no kidding it's the, the, some of the the problems that i have generally speaking is that even recently joe biden said that um you know the the racist elements of the usa the aggressive right wing which uh, went into the capitol building um he said that that's not that's not america yeah this isn't the the kind of people that we are um now i i don't want to comment on that because i don't know 320 million people and i, yeah. I, can't, I can't make a claim that, on that score that's true i'm like mm. sitting here and i'm like mm, but i i'm gonna stick with you on that one i can't make a <laughs> i can't make comments for all americans so that's a good point appreciate yeah. that um, but the thing that is quite interesting, though, is that through all of the different issues that or the, the uh, events that we've generally referred to with regards to what the CIA has done and not done, um, we don't have to talk about 320 million people. We only have to talk about those individuals who are in positions of authority. Um, and what have they done in the name of those 320 million people? Yeah. And, and they're far more easy. They're e easier for us to track, at least, um, and to kind of identify. And when you've got groups of individuals who throughout history, they tend to come back and are repeatedly uh, prominent in, in different generations. Yeah. You start to then track um, a certain profile of individual i mean in our previous podcast we mentioned robert barons yeah and yeah. I'll, ma I'll make another reference point back later on as well to this um when groups are dynastic or they have different generations represented in authority sometimes i believe they muddy the water in the sense that they feel they are defending the national interest but they very clearly confuse the national interest with personal interests yeah. because they start to think that one minute this country is bollocks if if i'm not running it yeah and so my interest is the national interest and that's where a lot of the problems lie i think yeah i certainly agree um it's a lot of these people kind of like being like when we were talking like the cia like you like you mentioned like these are easier people to track these are easier people to like keep a record of um and 
they are the ones that were making the decisions for the 320 million Americans at the time. Like, they are the ones who were being like, yeah, no, this is going to be in the best interest of Americans. Like, that's the part that I guess I just don't understand is how you can ever imagine that 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 is is going to overall be beneficial to Americans because in the long run it ended up being extremely horrible like I mean it only increased drug routes to America it only like there weren't great things happening there was money being sent out of the country to fund things that aren't relevant to us right now like that we don't care about like americans were worried about socialism but i mean at the same time there are plenty of american issues in the country that are going wrong that like like the drugs that the entire fucking reagan administration went off of for eight years like the dare program is only as a fe- like I guess they were like yeah no the dare program I guess we could ramp it up by adding more drug routes into America so that way it really impacts more people like what a fucking crazy thing to imagine like yeah I I just it's it's terrifying to imagine that that such a small group of people get to be like yes this is in the interest of all the American people even though it's really only going to benefit me and my comrades like. It's not going to benefit all Americans in the long run. It rarely does. Like, these sorts of horrible, big actions that are really just for the money. Like, that's all that it really ever ends up being is for these people to get some extra cash. Like, that's what a lot of what happened with Iran-Contra was, like, people selling weapons and selling guns and selling them for extra money and scraping off the profits and then shipping that shit back over to Nicaragua to further fund like small like groups of people to fight and on our behalf like in a in this crazy way of like we're just being like all right you're going to represent the capitalists and the Russians are meanwhile funding and arming the other side and you're going to represent the socialists and like mean it's just a proxy war like they're not there they're just arming and letting them go and it's that's like these people didn't even really understand what they were fighting for like there were some great testimonies from people from Nicaragua at the time who were like yeah no I didn't really need to do this um I was either forced into it by the CIA or I was told that it was going to be a very momentary thing. Like, I didn't need the extra cash. I was already making tons of money. Like, and so they're just kind of forced in these positions and civilians get in the crossfire and they end up dying. Like, that was a lot of, I believe, I wish I could remember how many people it was, but the number of civilians that ended up dying in the Nicaraguan conflict was was way more than I expected. And it was it was disappointing and all funded by the us and russia like throughout that time yeah and um and what we kind of discussed as well when we were talking about the the sort of development of the of the issue is the fact that whenever we watch a um a documentary now about iran contra 
Um, it always starts with the need to crush the Sandinistas, which is basically one of George, sorry, George Bush, um, Ronald Reagan's main sort of priorities. Yeah. What, what we don't really hear about in these documentaries is where the Sandinistas come from um, or indeed uh, American historical participation in Nicaragua yeah. um, and some of the things that they did in these areas. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there will, as I referred to earlier, and I can't find the page, unfortunately, which I had found, but um, there is, I mean, we were talking about the, the robber barons. Um, if you, there is, I think, to try to find this, um, but basically back in like 1856, more or less, there was um, U.S. or I should say one of these American uh, robber barons who basically would just uh, pay to have the natural resources of this country essentially just used, completely usurped um, and all to the benefit of their individual you know, family, their company. Um, yeah. and, and the USA or the American government would essentially, or whatever government there was at the time, um, would support that. And they would say, yeah, okay, that is our interest because they yeah. also provide tax dollars. They provided whatever kind of investment into the, the government of the day. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, as, as you've also sort of seen uh, yourself, and I'm sure you'll speak about it in, in, in a second or so, is um, the, the U.S. occupation of Nicaragua, which many people don't even know about. Yeah, I didn't know about it. I don't ever remember learning about it. Um, but just, I mean, we, we, we saw that they had valuable resources, and so we fucking came in there and we occupied them. Like... Mil with our military like we went in there with uh our military and we just occupied their streets for years like not like a short amount of time we were there for a while um i believe it was like 1919 around the end of world war one and we were there through like the mid-20s um and all because of the natural resources like you said and it's always in terms of these natural resources why the u.s gets involved like we're in, we're so involved in the middle east for the same reasons and it's it's because of resources it's because of oil it's because of these things that we've made our world turn on and so yeah like the u.s occupation of nicaragua was not a pleasant thing it was rather violent um, and the Nicaraguans were not a fan of it either. Um, yeah. Would you like to talk more about it? Because yeah. yeah, just just a little bit, because, I mean, after the, the Second World War, um, what we see is um, essentially the uh, the American government sending millions of dollars um, in exchange for benefits to American interests. So there's a company called the Nicaraguan Longleaf Pine Company, um, and this was completely US owned. Okay. Um, and they paid Somoza. So this is this dictator in Nicaragua. Um, and they essentially kept him in, in power. They supported him. They gave him uh, military training. They gave him arms yeah. and everything that was necessary. Um, and this guy just basically did whatever he wanted to the country. So um, they even completely sort of cut down areas of forest. The, 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 the indigenous people who lived there had to basically go and move somewhere else. Um, they had no responsibilities with regards to reforesting the area. They didn't give a shit. Um, 
And then thereafter, um, you know, these, the, it was such a brutal government. Um, and even though in the USA, media companies were reporting back that, look, this Somoza government, they're doing this crazy stuff. We're not really comfortable with this. Um, the US continued to, to support them um, because they represented conservative capitalist interests. Yeah. Um, and that was fine. And this all sort of comes to a head in 1972 uh, with the Managua earthquake. So there's a lot of international relief support that is sent to Nicaragua to, to, to help with the relief effort. And Somoza, essentially, as a result of his corruption and deliberate mishandling of that effort, um, it's, nothing is rebuilt. People die. Um, and this leads to a small sort of rebel group called the Sandinistas uh, having their ranks sort of filled by Nicaraguans who basically feel we've got nothing else to lose. Um, you know, this government doesn't care. They're killing us. Yeah. Um, and so they basically create this um, or they even further strengthen this rebel movement. And that rebel movement, the Sandinistas, are the ones who Reagan decides to go after. Yeah. I mean, that was such a good freaking breakdown, dude. Good job. <laughs> I was like, yes. Um, yeah, man. Like, it just in terms of like the U.S. supports the the things that like countries that do shit like the U.S. does, like not respecting native populations, not respecting the natural resources, not respecting the environment, not respecting the people. Um and if your country does that, you are friends with America and America will hook you up and tell you to keep doing what you're doing um, because it helps like when there are more capitalist countries out there, there are less socialist countries out there. So there's less of a competition going on. And like like you said, the whole time with what was going on in Nicaragua, like the, there was lots of talk of these countries knew what was going on like they knew that they were being funded and supported by the u.s and the u.s during this time was routinely trying to keep that away from the public's knowledge like keeping that away from americans knowledge that we were funding and we were supporting this dictator in nicaragua uh, which is something that americans do not typically support is a dictatorship like that's something that routinely we are like no that's stupid fuck that and so they tried to suppress it and they tried to make it so that way it wasn't really talked about. Um, and meanwhile, like during uh, Oliver North's hearings, he was like, yeah, no, all of our enemies knew what was going on. Like they knew what we were doing. They knew that we were supporting um, the, so, the Contras. So so, yeah. yeah, the Contras and who were yeah, basically yeah. The, yeah, the revolution. Well, these were the... the uh, forgotten what the actual word was but th these are the national guard of the somoza regime who had fled to honduras and yeah. they were then retrained as the contrast to go back into nicaragua and basically to pull down a democratically elected government yep. which is another issue isn't it yeah is that like it's routinely that the leaders that get appointed that are overthrown in this way are Dictators are supported by the United States and that the vice versa is that these other people are democratically appointed like they are 
they are voted upon by most of the people. Like, not all of them have the best forms of democracy, but way more fair than just being like, and you are the leader now. Like, because what the fuck is up with that? Like, just because you get to choose and just because another country is like, yeah, no, for sure. I like you. We're going to give you all the money and the funding. Like, a democratically supported and nominated individual who was going to lead the country ends up getting overthrown by a country that is the leader of democracy um, who was completely fucking assisted by that country. Like, the U.S. supported them the whole time. Like, the the world's leader of democracy fighting against a democratically appointed president like what a fucking crazy idea man like holy it, cow it has to be pointed out that the the sandinista government was also receiving support from cuba and the ussr yeah so as in there is an ideological issue here i i, yeah. I want it's good to make sure that we, we we represent all of this information. So there is this element of, of sort of political unrest, political disturbance. Um, Reagan came in basically because he, he was saying to Carter, you don't know what you're doing. Um, our, our interests in the Middle East are being um, basically defeated because you're too weak and so on. And this was why with the 440 odd days that the hostages remained in uh, the hands of uh, Iran, yeah. um, Reagan used this continued inability of the Carter government to be able to get them back. Yeah. Um, and at the time in which it was they did come back it was too late reagan had already been elected i do believe i remember watching um a documentary where it was also said that um some elements within um the administration later administration of reagan had actually secretly negotiated with uh security elements within iran not to release the hostages so um, now I, I've, I, I watched that and I was like, well, one minute, what is that? Um, yeah. And then I said, I'll, I'll wait until the end of this and then I'll make a note. And then unfortunately, I, I, I can't find it. I will at some point find that and then I'll put, I'll put a reference somewhere. Um, Holy but, cow. But it's, the thing is, though, because of all of the other stuff that we know about what Reagan did, um and also his his vice president who was george bush because we know about some of the i mean the bush family in itself i mean whoa um yeah. because we know about some of the stuff that these people have done um it wouldn't be too hard to to believe that yeah <clears throat> yeah it's but just how like just how terrifying that is i guess <clears throat> like the idea of these individuals being like they're they're prisons like they're prisoners at this point they're hostages and the idea of like these like these people in the administration being like let's try to keep them in there for a little bit longer let's see if we can continue to try to like because like that was like reagan's biggest fear during his presidency was the idea of a soviet invasion of the united states a a socialist ideolite or uh ideological change in the mind of americans and the closer that socialism got to america's doorstep the more fear and the more scared that ronald reagan became like 
And I mean, <clears throat> that's why we see that sort of response in Nicaragua with the funding, with how much money he gave, with the training. Like, because that was his ultimate fear, that's what he was scared of. Um, and But the idea of him being, like, members being like, yeah, no, let's let's keep them in prison as hostages a little bit longer so that way we can try to squash out a few more little things going on while we can get a few more extra funds going like maybe top off the ammunition supply like just crazy ass shit like that and then they're like all right now we feel okay we'll send them back like that idea is just holy cow <laughs> no. well i mean it worked for reagan because as you said earlier the the final sort of 53 hostages were released um at the point in which he'd already been elected as president yeah. so uh, so so that worked for him um Another thing that you referred to earlier, now I will come back to that later, actually. So we also talked about the the, the revolution in, in Iran. So yeah. this, this took place in 1979, and that's when the, uh, the U.S. embassy was uh, sort of broken into by these uh, students or young rebels, and they took the hostages. Um, a lot of People now um, growing up, they look at the Middle East and they look at certain countries within the Middle East and they say, oh, these guys are our enemies. These guys are our sworn enemies. Yeah, I, I would even speak to these guys. Yeah. Um, you know, we're talking about a country like Iran that has uh, over 3000 years of history. Yeah. Um, when the embassy was uh, broken into or was raided by these people, um, this was like, I think it was a year after um, the Shah basically left Iran. And the Shah was the last in line of a 2,500-year monarchy, more yeah. or less, in Iran. Yeah? Do you remember where he ended up fleeing to? I think he ended up, well, he died in Egypt. Okay. He died in Egypt. I think it was the age of 60. He had uh, cancer. So okay. he, he died of cancer in Egypt. Um, the thing is, though, during the time of the Shah, um, he quite happily, I mean, he, Carter went and celebrated New Year's with the Shah in Iran. Yeah. That's um, crazy. All right. As in, yeah, this is how close the U.S. was with Iran in the time of the Shah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then because now whether or not this was because um, Western intelligence were just simply too blind uh, to see what was happening within Iran. Either way, the Shah made a number of mistakes um, and these mistakes essentially allowed for uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini, who was an extremely intelligent individual, um, to essentially develop his support within Iran. And we also have to recognize the fact that under the Shah, a, a little bit like during the time of Somoza in Nicaragua, um, a lot of people were poor. Um, they didn't have great access to education. Um, and so the the possibility that uh, Khomeini, who was this very well-respected cleric um, representative of, of, of Islam, um, the stuff that he was saying was very 
to the to the heart and to the sort of reality of you know a lot of the suffering of I- Iranian citizens. So yeah. this is why it was very easy for um, the people of Iran to welcome Khomeini back uh, when he when he arrived from from France. Um, what we don't remember though is the fact that it was quite recent that the USA and Iran had a very close relationship. Yeah. It didn't have to go the way that it did. Um, and in fact, as you say, this sort of imperialistic perspective that um, the West has, this you're either with me or you're against me, this binary bullshit that we keep putting out there, yeah, um, yeah has led to the situation that we have today in in the Middle East. It didn't have to be this way unfortunately yeah um and and that's that's uh yeah that's what happened and then the you know the iran contra affair just completely scaled out of proportion um and but by then it was too late yeah just too far gone and with america i i genuinely didn't realize how close america and iran were at that time like once again stuff that you're not really taught about stuff that you're not really like that doesn't really get talked about um, <clears throat> because we are genuinely taught, like, that these people are our mortal enemies at this point. Like, <clears throat> I mean, it's been, like, 21 years since 9-11 happened, and, uh, horrible event, and we still have such horrible, um, like, premonitions about, um, people from the Middle East still in America. Like, we still... Like, if I'm not mistaken, uh, people that have a even close, closely Middle Eastern skin tone um, that they come into America um, are usually checked for bomb residue, like bomb and gunpowder residue. Um, and I didn't realize that. Um, that's mm-hmm. fucking crazy. Um, and it's pretty much like a racially targeted thing, um, just kind of based off of how you look. Um, like a lot of people who wear hijabs end up getting like they put your hand on like this powder and it shows if you've been in contact with any gunpowder or uh explosive chemicals recently and uh just this very like racially targeted thing um but the idea of it being like that jimmy carter was celebrating new year's with the shah in the 70s like the idea of a U.S. president going out to the Middle East and having like a whoo, happy new year. Like that idea is long gone. It's been burned into the ground for the past, like, I'd say maybe like two and a half decades. Like it's yeah, well, gone. Beyond. Yeah, beyond. Yeah. Well, since the since the, uh, the the end of the 70s, essentially. Yeah, um, I'd say pretty much since Iran-Contra, <laughs> like. Yeah. 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 Conceivably, um, a, a little bit before, as in when the uh, when the Ayatollah Khomeini came and became the sort of supreme leader within within Iran, and he was quite clear um, um, on the fact that Iran had to be governed uh, as a a Muslim country in accordance with uh, the you know the relevant laws. Yeah. Um, but also, it one of the. Um, commitments that uh, the Ayatollah insisted upon went because he kind of also negotiated with uh, with the West before because he was in France. 
So, you know, he only was uh, he only went back or he was able to go back to Iran purely because the West allowed him to do so. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, I mean, they could have stopped him if they wanted. So clearly there was some kind of an arrangement there. But the the Ayatollah said from the beginning, um, you know, Iran will be run by Iranians but by uh, under the the relevant laws of Islam. So I will not allow either Soviet interests and and communist interests, nor will I allow Western capitalistic interests uh, to have any kind of, uh, you know, governing role within that country. And and he he was true to that. Yeah, so. um, I think it's such an important thing to like, not give into those two, those two issues of of socialists and communist or socialists and capitalists like it's it's such a a i believe you like you said it and i wish that i could like remember how you phrased it so well but just this like stupid you're you're con- you're capitalist i'm socialist fuck you <laughs> you're dead to me i'm going to invade you now like and this repetition that just keeps cycling through over and over and over again and it did for a long time and just how almost embarrassing it is like it's very it feels like very childish to be like like you're wearing a blue shirt and i'm wearing a red shirt me i'm gonna beat you up now like grow up dude like there are way bigger things going on right now like there are issues happening in each of these countries that are worth examining that are unique issues unto them unto themselves that are not necessarily going to directly be fixed because of capitalism or because of socialism there's got to be there's an in-between somewhere there there are things that can be worked out there are compromises that can be made and it's not strictly I'm a capitalist, I'm a socialist, I'm a communist, like that 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 idea like that ideology is just dangerous and we've seen how dangerous it, it's gotten in terms of like countries interfering and and putting themselves into these proxy wars to fight like getting other countries to fight for them in the name of what they deem as like the best form of government the best form of of a country and its socialism and capitalism and and we saw the damages that it it did for like 50 years like from the end of world war ii through the end of the cold war like the cold war was not pretty for like in terms of how many actual like People say that it was a very, like, bloodless event or, like, a bloodless war. But in terms of how many, like, coups and funds that went into these proxy wars that necessarily weren't the U.S. versus Russia, which was the war that was happening, it's more of these proxy wars where the civilians are getting caught in the crossfire, not the soldiers that are getting caught in the crossfire. And so you don't hear about it. You don't talk about it. It's not as prevalent. Um and just what a disappointing and terrifying idea that is and that that's still that that could still be happening and it probably is still happening that the US and Russia are both probably funding and actively taking part in a lot of these like smaller conflicts that we see happening around the world um just in their own self-interests 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I think the the Cold War, e- even if it sort of officially came to an end uh, at the end of the 80s, uh, beginning of the 90s, um, th- there is no indication that it has uh, absolutely stopped. So this, yeah. um, the name has changed. You know, it's, if it's not Cold War, it's East-West. It's, um, you know, it, the participants also uh, sort of, it, it's a bit like tag team. You know, yeah. one, one minute it's Russia, the next minute it's China, then it's uh, this again and so on. And um, there doesn't appear to be any any end in sight. And, yeah, I, I'm with you um, in, in, in what you're saying. You know, there is, you know, there's middle ground. I think there's a lot of middle ground. There are lots of options open, but people don't want to consider middle ground because there is so much by way of financial benefit to be had through war through yeah. funding um, military objectives um, and, and essentially managing that particular sector. Yeah. Um, and, and this is why we see people who have had military experience, they tend to also do quite well in politics. Um, and yeah, if you have people who um, have often had to use aggressive tactics as a solution for um, dispelling problems. I can't imagine it being so natural for most of them to use peaceful means. Sometimes it happens, of course, because you would say, oh, these guys, they've seen war. They would never wish it on anyone. Um, But not all generals are seen on the battlefield either. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. I uh, it's terrifying to imagine that 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 some generals and some politicians that end up in like who have this this military experience, like sometimes you do get politicians who are in those experiences and they don't necessarily respond with violence all the time, but you do have some like that are rather aggressive and that like i mean putin is is a pretty aggressive leader and he was former kgb um and we see like kind of the aggression that he has as an individual the the way that he presents himself the way that he talks even like he is an aggressive and like very to the point man um and yeah, like it, it feels like he's very much in that that militaristic headspace of like he's it's almost like he's just there to get a job done. And I I don't necessarily know what that job is, if it's necessarily for the people of Russia, um, but it definitely feels more like a personal interest type of thing. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, you know, if it's source for the goose, it's source for the gander, isn't it? So, I yeah. mean, you know, if, if our, our sort of Western politicians can only see, you know, up to the end of their noses, there's no reason why uh, leaders from other powerful nations aren't the same way inclined. Yeah, uh, I think it stands to reason. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, again, one of the reasons why we we sort of wanted to talk about the, the Iran-Contra scandal um, is the relevance that it has today and in many ways the fact that it is so similar to what we are seeing with regards to the january 6th uh the capital riots yeah. and the um the following 
um, investigation or sort of Congress um, looking into the, you know, whether or not uh, Trump had, you know, incited the mob and who was responsible and so on. Um, Oliver North, as you said before, he clearly admitted he shredded the evidence. You know, they they knew certain people had done certain things. There's a guy called Admiral Poindexter. He had been found guilty uh, for um, a lot of the his actions during the Iran-Contra affair was later on appeal um, uh, that was he was released. And then a lot of the people from Iran-Contra were actually pardoned. Uh, funnily enough, by George Bush, of course. Who else? He's a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the way it goes, isn't it? And also, no kidding. Yeah, Trump also pardoned lots of people on his yeah. way out. Yeah, but if I'm not mistaken, the the Secret Service they were told quite clearly, we are we are going to subpoena your messages, so make sure you you save them. And then what happened? They were all deleted. They got rid of them. <laughs> this is history repeating itself. Oliver North, he shredded the evidence. Secret Service, they delete their messages. Um, President Bush, he, uh, the first one, George uh, Herbert Walker George Bush. H.W. Yeah, he, um, he pardoned all of the people who had uh, committed crimes in uh, Iran-Contra. Trump yeah. pardoned lots of people who had committed crimes as well when he yeah. left. So, I mean, you know. There is a lesson here that should be learned. Yeah, and it feels as though it definitely hasn't. <laughs> um, it's it's been it's it's been an exciting like week with like Trump. His Mar-a-Lago got raided by the FBI with a pretty hefty search warrant, like search warrant hefty enough that they could break into his safe and pull his information from his safe. Like that's not a light warrant. Like that's not like a a small warrant that's a that that means that they have a good feeling that they will find incriminating evidence in mar-a-lago that will hopefully put trump behind bars um i don't necessarily feel like i i'd like to be optimistic about the possibility of trump going to jail um no he's got too much money um and we've seen how this shit goes like like ronald reagan nothing happened to him nothing's going to happen to trump trump is going to end up running for 2024 as like president or vice president for ron DeSantis. like there are a plethora of ways that this could go and it's not with trump going to jail it's just with trump continuing to do the same shit that he's been doing and like no lessons were learned and with the most like with the president with so many parallels like reagan and trump really feel so like connected as one in terms of the way that they operated the way that they conducted their business they were both like in in a weird way they both were kind of similar with background like reagan was an actor um like a famous person who ended up becoming uh president and ronald or donald trump was in a similar position with like whatever that shitty show was where he was the boss um, and all of his weird companies and shit, like, and then being like, I want to get into politics. Like, there are similarities with these individuals that go beyond just their policies and the things that they advocate for. There's even, like, parallels in their background that I feel as though are are kind of, like, if history is going to repeat itself the way that it has, like, 
I'm not really going to advocate for any celebrity uh, presidential things. Like, not really going to go for that. Um, I don't like the idea of it. Um, Donald Trump, like, I mean, and Ronald Reagan both, they're, they're just these horrible individuals that were able to get away with some fucking horrendous shit. Like, things that most people would not be able to get away with as an as an individual but because you are the president of the united states because you have so much money and so much power you're able to get away with it um that's terrifying yeah but they were scared as in you know if you sort of look into the the iran contra affair um and i mean when you watch documentaries from 10 years 15 20 years later it's it's easier for people who had been involved in in the 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 sort of white house at the time that they come forward with um a, a more should we say a sincere um a reflective account so you know yeah. it, it was well known that the inner circle with reagan they were scared shitless of what um the, the iran contra affair meant um yeah. And the potential it could have for his 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 presidency and his legacy, um, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, we've already seen with these committee hearings with regards to uh, President Trump, um, people have already started to come out and talk about the the inner atmosphere of the White House, what he was doing on that day, uh, some yeah. of the things that he was saying. We've heard some of these accounts. This is only going to get more and more as time goes by um, and people start to feel a bit more comfortable about their Absolutely. position. Um, so, you know, I have a feeling you're right. I don't think uh, Trump will be um, he'll probably be found guilty, but there's no way that he will serve any time. Um I'm yet to identify a an investigation of this sort from the Congress involving a particularly high level government official where they actually get any kind of punishment worthy of the name. Yeah, agreed. There there are not ones that I can think of. Like because I was also thinking about that where like where a high ranking official does something like this and they actually get the punishment that's deserved. Like, because I mean, like we were talking about earlier, these are people that are tracked. These are people who like it's not a large group of people voting for these these movements and for these things to happen. It's like a small group of like 12 people that are operating and working together to make this thing happen. And we can track them and we can record like I mean, I'm sure that there were record, like, if I'm not mistaken, during that time period in the White House, there were recorded, like, record players inside of the Oval Office that would record conversation that would happen between the president and anybody in the in the room. Like, that, like, you can pull up audio clips of stuff like that. I'm sure that Reagan had, like, a little button that he could, like, this is my hush-hush button. Boop. And, like, all the recordings go off. But, like just just the level of i know i'm doing something wrong Shh. and then they like grab it all up they shred it like donald trump did the same thing they're like they're still pulling up pictures of like um 
like pieces of paper coming up from the toilets of the White House of like pieces of paper that Donald Trump has shred and with his own hands that he's written and f- decided to flush down a toilet. And like, honestly, that screams innocent as fuck, really. Like, I can't think of anything more innocent. Like, if you don't have paper scraps in your toilet, pfft, what Absolutely. are you doing? Absolutely. You criminal. Ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I think the only one where there was any kind of consequence was Nixon. And he was he resigned, obviously, yeah. because of uh, Watergate. Um, yeah. But but otherwise, no, I mean, even um, Bill Clinton, you know, he, he was Im- impeached, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, he stayed in. He stayed. Um, yeah. 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 And like, I mean, that... That's it. It's like you can be impeached, but you you can stay. And there has to be a specific process to remove the president after an impeachment. And that on its own is a separate process. And like the removal of a president is a lengthy, time consuming process that a lot of people, I guess, just don't want to do. Um, and like, I don't know, it's weird. Um, the idea of it being such an annoyingly long process to have to be like man this this guy sucks at his fucking job we need to get him out of here instead it's going to take the entire presidency to get him out of here like impeachment is an, is not a short process it is a long lengthy process that involves lots of conversation it involves lots of evidence it involves like it it's it's lengthy it is a process um and like I mean, we didn't see anything happen to Nixon after, like, he he resigned, he he walked away, and then nothing. Like, dude, you broke into the DNC, dog. <laughs> like, and and to and then just, lied just, about it. Yeah, and then lied <laughs> about it to everybody. Like, no repercussions for that. Really interesting. Like. It just goes to show if you have money, you have power, you're fine. There are no repercussions that you will face in this country, like because because you can avoid them. You you have enough power. Um, it's terrifying. It is worrying. And, and also when you um, add to that the fact that the current situation in U.S. politics is, um, I, I think, pretty, pretty dangerous because what you've got is um one of the two main parties the republican party basically saying that we don't trust law enforcement in our country yeah um so if the, if the republican party doesn't trust law enforcement in the usa why would any of their supporters and so we're essentially coming back to the main you know, issue of the of the January 6 riots. Um, yeah. This is almost like saying, do you know what? Have a way, guys, because we don't trust the FBI. Yeah. And I mean, like. There there has been this shift in mentality for the Republicans that they do not trust the FBI anymore. Um, like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert both came out and were like, defund the FBI, the police suck. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene selling defund the FBI merch right now. Pretty that's tight. Just, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And what a flip of events that, that is to have taken place in a matter of a week 
Like these are the most conservative members of of Congress that we have. Like like Marjorie Taylor Greene in particular is just this vile violent angry woman who just has no idea what's coming out of her mouth ever like she just kind of goes and it's disgusting like every time she mentions monkeypox and she's like it's a sexually transmitted disease and, and only people who have sex and are gay can get it i'm like shut up dude like you're just so annoying like fuck you like you're acting like it's not a like she's always like it's only gay people can get it and it's a sexually transmitted disease so it's no big deal for the rest of the population and it's like dude you act like people don't have sex for fun like it's like you act like sex is in america it feels like conservatives believe that sex is only something to have a baby it's not a pleasure thing it's not a connection between two individuals it is seriously just a contractual obligation to have a child with another human being and that's so fucking like that's not true that's wrong like that's not all that it is like there's so much more going on and to simplify it down to this one thing that is it's just silly but but to see the flip in these politicians because of this catalyst type event of that they're now like we must defund the fbi because they're going against our values like as individuals that i feel as though i don't want the president's home to be invaded like it's it's crazy and i mean the way that fox news ended up like framing the framing it was awesome they got like a little helicopter drone flyby around mar-a-lago and they they labeled it as biden administration raids home of presidential uh candidate or a presidential opponent candidate or something like that and it's like that's true but you're not talking about the fact that the dude is the fucking guy who was like get on down there and take it on over for me guys like you're completely negating that huge monumental point like they were going to overthrow our government and i mean I don't know if they could have, but they were definitely determined to try. <laughs> and that's they terrifying. Yeah. They tried, like, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they broke in. They they got inside of the how the, the halls of Congress and they were like they were breaking windows, they were hanging out in the House of Commons, like it, it they did it. They did they they were in there doing what they were told to do and we're not going to see any repercussions for Donald Trump because of it. Like even the Republicans and the people who did go in and went into the Capitol, they have like family members that are coming out now and they're being like, if my dad is going to jail or to prison for seven years, Donald Trump should be in prison for the rest of his life. And it's like they're they're starting to turn and they're starting to like at least understand what the fuck is going on because it feels like there's just been this blind loyalty just because it's this guy and now there's this realization of oh this guy really did some bad stuff and if i like why is it that my family is being impacted so heavily but this guy told us to do it and there's nothing that's going to happen to him like he directed it he was like yeah no go on down and take it on over and there's nothing that's going to happen to him 
and it's like he he deserves repercussions for his actions like these are not acceptable actions like and it should never be an acceptable action like people could have died people did die like police officers died and yeah, absolutely. I mean, but this was also the, his sort of final attempt at uh, at a coup. I mean, he also tried to get um, governors um, and other people who were managing the the election process to find me enough votes to to find change. Find me, <laughs> find me enough votes. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is crazy stuff. He the recount like it lasted so long, like and continuously making these claims of like this like that this isn't the result of the election i do not believe that this is the result of the election and he went on that until like like you said that was his last move like like all out he was like if nothing else fucking works this is this is all that i got and he tried it and it failed. And because it failed, you get to go to prison for the rest of your life. That's what should happen. Like, if it succeeded, then we'd have a different story and things would be very different right now. But that's not what happened. And he should be in prison for the rest of his life. Like, you don't just stage a, a coup of the government and then go on down to, to golf with the boys. Like, fuck you, man. And then you bury your freaking <laughs> wife on hole one, dude jog on like you're <laughs> such a horrible individual like you belong in a prison until you die like you are not a good person you have not proven that you can do good things like you're continuously a liar scumbag piece of shit <laughs> sorry about my language but just <laughs> god man it's horrible it's cool. It just makes my my task of writing the the introduction easier because then I'm I'm completely justified in writing how passionate you are in your in, in your <laughs> your expression and choice of words. So, cool. um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think if there's um, any other sort of points that we can add to it. But to be honest, I, I think that covers you know more or less um, the, the the issues that we wanted to to address. Um, you know, it's important that people don't necessarily take what we say for granted. Go out there, please, you know, do your own yeah. research, um, you know, identify some of the, the topics that we raise. Um, because if, if a lot of Republican supporters say that they are patriots and if indeed people care about the state of the nation and the future of the nation, then it's important that they can do so from a position of authority, which means to be uh, knowledgeable in the facts that have taken place up until now. Um, and therefore, they can reflect upon the actions of individuals in a yeah. more measured way. Please do that. Have a Absolutely. look at what's happened and and come up with your own opinion as to whether or not certain individuals have acted responsibly and in the interests of the nation or not. Yeah super important yeah always do your own research like there are people that i i enjoy watching and and following along that do political discussion um hassan piker on twitch is the biggest political commentator on the platform 
Um, he's like 30, 31. Uh, he was part of the Young Turks, and he does a lot of like political commentary. He's he's what really inspired me into politics, um, in such a like, in in the direction that I've gone, um, and I've gotten to a comfortable enough spot with my politics and my own point of view that I don't really watch his stuff anymore to develop any opinions. I do my own reading. I do all that stuff like. It, for a long time, I was watching him as somebody and just kind of like repeating the things that they said. And that's that's not the goal. Like you don't want to be repeating what everybody else says. You want to be informed. You want to learn. You want to educate yourself so that way you're not repeating the same things that everybody else is already saying. And you want to inform yourself. Like you said, like knowledge is so important history always repeats itself we talked about it here today a couple of times like it's something that will continue to repeat and educating yourself and understanding these patterns is the best way to just recognize them when they happen like it was recognizable what was going to happen with january 6th when it happened like seeing the lead up of the months of of the election up into uh joe biden's inauguration like we saw what was going to happen. We saw it. And it's because you can look at previous events in the past and, and inform yourself and, and make those conclusions yourself. Um, so, yeah, educate yourself. It's so important. Wonderful. Aiden, thank you very much for your yeah. time again um, and the effort that uh, you take also in the research. Um, and, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the next one. And yeah, thank you so much for having me, Zach. and a mic.